but understanding that submission doesn't work alone. Like you have to have the biblical leadership as the other part. And I don't think it should ever be spoken of separately. When you say a wife, I'm a wife, that implies I have a husband, right? When you say a husband, that implies that my husband has a wife. The same is true with biblical leadership and biblical submission. You can't speak about one without the other or the other without the one. And I think I think where the, the biggest misunderstandings come from is, is that they, there's not a full view because in a lot of churches, submission is preached without biblical leadership. In a lot of societies, the woman's place is preached without talking about the man's place. And I think that's where, I think that's where the biggest misunderstanding comes from. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. My guest, Leslie Davis, is one of the founders, her husband is the other, of Heart Call Ministries. And it's because of the way that God has blessed their marriage that makes Leslie passionate about seeing marriages healed and strengthened through the truth of God's word. They are proof, their marriage is proof that you can have a solid, godly blessed, rewarding marriage. Leslie and I talked about how marriage is simply two broken people bringing out the brokenness in each other. But Leslie said something that I cannot ever remember considering it quite like this. And granted, I've been a widow now for a little over five and a half years, so maybe I'm just not remembering. But here's what she said. A lot of times God will use the marriage relationship to provide healing for those broken places. And I don't recall considering conflict in my marriage as an opportunity to heal. Although in hindsight, it was times of frustration and feeling at my wit's end in my marriage that caused me to seek my own personal healing. When I think about it, that's so like God. He knows marriage is going to bring our brokenness to the surface. He knows we're going to challenge each other and it's going to trigger all the areas where we need freedom. And he's fine with that because in the process, he's asking us to give him that painful place, that brokenness, so he can heal it. God's heart is to heal us in the here and now. We don't have to wait for heaven. He wants to build our trust to show us his faithfulness, to shepherd us well. A significant distinction that Leslie made is looking at the difference of what it means to have a strong identity based on who we are in Christ and who we are to Christ. It was so good. I can't wait for you to hear that part. We took a look at abuse, submission, obedience, and humbling, but it's not the typical conversation that you may be used to hearing from the pulpit, meaning 
submission preached without including the importance of biblical leadership. Additionally, Leslie points to varying levels of trust in a marriage and the fact that when the marriage vows, the ones that were promised at the time of your marital union, you know, when you guys were standing in front of witnesses and you made a vow, you spoke vows to each other. When those marital vows are broken, then there's some work that needs to be done. And I've often said, when it's broke, it's broke. And acting like it isn't broke only prolongs the pain, the confusion, the dysfunction. Whether it was submission, obedience, humbleness, or abuse, no matter our topic, Leslie balances it with clarity, hope, and God's heart for us and marriage. And I feel sure her message is going to encourage you to continue pursuing the heart of God and discovering his intention for marriage and the freedom that he has for us. We cannot forget that if we've professed the Son of God as our Lord and Savior, then he's made a vow to us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us, especially in the painful places of life. I don't want to delay any longer. Let's listen in so that we might get a glimpse of how to find God in our pain, specifically the broken places of marriage. Welcome, Leslie, and thank you for being on the show today. You're welcome. I am excited to be here. You and your husband are founders of Heart Call Ministries because you guys are passionate about seeing marriages healed and strengthened through the truth of God's word. Tell us a little bit about your ministry. Yes. Well, our ministry started as coaching and actually the ministry started when we realized that the Lord had blessed our marriage and we wanted to see others have what what we have because mm-hmm. the Lord had just strengthened our marriage in so many places. And so that's kind of how it started. And we now do marriage coaching, premarital coaching, and we have a podcast called The Vision Driven Marriage. Such a worthy ministry because we're created for relationship and therefore we search out relationships and marriage to me, marriage is the most important one because God has made it foundational to humanity for, for us to exist. It's his commandment. And when lived out in the manner that God desires, it becomes an example of the relationship between God, the father, Jesus, the son and the Holy Spirit, how they move as one. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of marriage and how it gives us an example of the Trinity? The way that the the unity in marriage works is the same unity that is that you know that holds the the triune God together, right? Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. But we're to strive to have that kind of union in our marriage, also. And when we do, the Bible tells us that the marriage is a symbol of what Christ is to the church and what the church is to Christ. It our marriage relationship mirrors the relationship that Jesus has with the body of believers that are followers of him. Now I, that that is the church. <laughs> and I think that takes a lot of sacrifice. Yes. <laughs> if you yes. think about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross so we could have access to the Father again. So there's a lot of sacrifice in that type of relationship because God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit move as one. They have mm-hmm. they uh, adore each other. They promote each other. They, they um, have the same goals. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very difficult and realistic <laughs> humanity. There's a lot of things we trip over, and that's the kind of stuff that I want to Uh, talk about today. Because ultimately, I think that the way that God lays out how to have a good marriage is really the framework. I think it boils down to the intimate relationship that you have with God yourself in order to make that happen. So when God calls us into a new level, and I'd say marriage is a new 
level yeah. in life. Part of that transformation is being willing to sacrifice things. What sort of things do we need to be willing to sacrifice? Well, I think, you know, coming into a marriage, you know, there's that saying marriage is two broken people bringing out each other's brokenness, right? Well, we know that we're bringing that kind of brokenness into our marriage and we have to sacrifice the things that it takes to allow that brokenness to heal. And a lot of times God will use the marriage relationship to provide a place of healing for those broken places just like our relationship with Jesus, the Lord wants to heal those broken places in our hearts and make us have life to the fullest, you know? And so when we step into marriage, then the sacrifices that we have to, well, one, we have to think of, you know, like the Bible talks about thinking of others is better than yourself. And it doesn't mean as in, Uh, you know, you're so much better and I'm worthless. It's not that, but we think of others' needs before we think of our own. Like Christ thought of the church's needs before his own. That's what motivated him to go to the cross, right? Mm -hmm. So when we come into marriage, we are instructed to not just in our marriage relationship, but in all of our relationships, consider those other people's needs more important than our own needs. And the only way to do that is to begin to understand what it looks like to live in a place of humility. And when you say that too, it reminds me of the fact that it's different to give from a place of strong identity than it is to give from a place of lack or feeling like you're the victim when you give. Mm -hmm. And so I think that kind of lends itself to strengthening our identity which then comes back to that whole intimacy with God. Mm -hmm. So identity has a lot to do with marriage, maybe strengthen it. In what way do you think? I think for all of us, married or not, understanding who we are in Christ is very important. But let me, let me bring this out because, you know, we hear a lot in our church circles about, you know, your identity in Christ and who you are in Christ, all the gifts that you've been given in Christ, right? But I think our true identity and our true security in Christ comes out of a place of learning not who we are in Christ, but who we are to Christ. Mm. Because when you deepen that relationship with the Lord and begin to understand who you are to Him, there is such a great love and peace and security in that alone weathers a lot of storms that, you know, as you face them, don't seem like such big storms. After I'd lost my husband in early 2018, God had ministered to me and attended to me in such an intimate and Mm -hmm. uh, kind and tender way that when COVID came around, I did not have any fear because I had seen what I meant to him. Yeah. I'd like to think that trauma and tragedy doesn't have to strike in order for you to understand what you mean to Christ. Is there some things we can do in order to grow our intimate knowledge of who we are to Christ? Well, of course, be in the word, be studying in the word and be willing to receive what it is that the Lord has for you because he knows those broken places. He has seen those broken places. He knows when they happened. And the thing is, is that he's the only one that can reach in and heal those broken places. So when you come to a place of hum- of humility and c- 
Because that's hard. Pressing into some of those broken places are really, really, really hard. But knowing that what the Lord has for you on the other side of that, you know, being willing to receive that healing, you know, so being able to ask yourself the hard questions, like what's stopping me from moving forward? And when the Lord said, you know, when he says that it's a, it's a hard heart or it's unforgiveness or it's bitterness, then to say, okay, well, yes, I'm, I'm bitter about this, or, you know, I'm, I'm brokenhearted about this, or there's unforgiveness about this, but Lord, I want you to fix it, you know? And so being humble in your relationship with the Lord before he humbles you, mm-hmm. you know, because that's where the really hard stuff comes from. And because sometimes he will, sometimes he won't let us um, travel down that path very long. And if we are able to humble ourselves and receive what it is that he has for us in that place of healing that we need, before things can get really, really tough, then he's able to heal some of those places that allow us to move in freedom in our relationships. And it's true because I've been going through this purposeful searching for and looking at the various ministries of healing that the church offers in order for its believers to walk in freedom. And I have definitely discovered and experienced and am experiencing (laughs) just freedom and peace from that too. Mm -hmm. One of the points you just made about humbling ourselves before God humbles us. Even when God humbles us, he's very gentle and kind, Yes, but which is a good thing because the world humbles in a completely different way. way. Yeah. They destroy, destroy and uh, wreak havoc. But one of the things that I've learned now at my age is that the sooner you humble yourself, the sooner that God can start working in the areas of freedom and healing, because the longer you wait, the bigger the fallout. For instance, if you think it's going to be horrible now, if you humble yourself, admit to the traumas, admit to the the brokenness that you have, if you think it's going to be bad now and you keep bearing it and you keep carrying, the fallout just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. Bigger. Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. And the more people that it will affect, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's wider, not just bigger and bigger, but it's wider, right? Yeah, affecting more people. You're so right. And sadly, I learned that by experience. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but I will never repeat that again. It has yeah. brought me to a place of intimacy with God because that's how I know that when we let him humble us, he is kind, he is gentle, and there's right. always restoration. Yes. There's always restoration. He's got a plan yeah. for it. So. Which speaks to, you know, the loving kindness of his character. And and yes, he always works towards restoration. But that speaks to how important relationships are, mm-hmm. you know, and I think one of the things like one of the core foundations of marriage that, you know, we have to focus on even in the midst of our brokenness is that the relationship is the most important thing, you know, mm-hmm. and so many times we get caught up in our roles or we get caught up in our day-to-day activities and, you know, we kind of go on autopilot, but being intentional about keeping the relationship a priority and letting that priority govern your decisions, you know, then that protects the marriage relationship. And I think the truth, I think that is true in our relationship with Jesus. If we do the things that protects that relationship, then that relationship is going to get deeper. So good. Cause it's, it's so practical too, because yeah. that's how it plays out in real yeah. life in our five senses, conversations, things like that. That's what it looks like to model. I wonder why it can be so difficult with to maintain that sort of intimacy and relationship with God because he's not in front of us, although he is. 
Although he is. Yes, absolutely. He is. I don't know. I think we get caught up or stuck on self-focused. You know, it's really easy to be Mm self-focused and we get caught up in that. So often we don't let the Lord minister to those things that we're focused on in ourselves. We're expecting to find that from other people, from our spouse, you know, instead of taking those hurts to the Lord. For instance, maybe the trauma victim who is in marriage that's expecting her husband to fulfill the places that were hurt and broken by the trauma. Well, that's not her husband's job. That's not his place. That's Jesus' place, you know, to heal that. So there's these expectations of going into marriage that the spouse is taking on a role or expected to take on a role that's not theirs. That's a good point because I think we marry, I've heard it said so many times, the person who completes you. Mm-hmm. And yet that will never happen. The only one who can complete you is Jesus. Christ, right. And so that's when we put that burden on our spouse uh-huh. to fulfill. And we are a people of expectation, <laughs> but we are also a people of de- disappointment because of yes. that expectation. <laughs> that's right. That's absolutely right. My husband and I have a, a, a fairly solid marriage. I mean, we still have our struggles, but the thing is, is that he makes me stronger I don't think I've ever put that label on it that he completes me. I have said he centers me just because when my world seems to be spinning out of control and, you know, there's a lot going on, I know I can always come back to him Mm -hmm. and say, okay, I know I am experiencing a lot of negative emotions. And it's funny because as a counselor, that, that is what I say to him you know, and he's like, oh, I can see that you're mad. And I'm like, oh, I'm way more than mad. (laughs) You know, I'm experiencing a lot of negative emotion right now. But anyway, so he'll ask, do you want me to fix it? Or do you want me to just listen? A lot of times I'll say, no, I just need you to listen because I've got to dump this. And so he makes me stronger. And, and I hope I pray. My prayer is, is that there's places in his life that I make him stronger also, but I don't think I've ever said he completes me. I think I've just heard it in romantic, worldly romantic sense of find the one who completes you. And I'm like, you're going to be looking for a long time. Long time. (laughs) Yeah. Better look towards Jesus because. Yeah. Your creator, the one who knows your DNA. That's where it's at. (laughs) Backing up just a little bit. The reason I was asking about sacrifices, because I wanted to compare it to the dreaded word submission. Submission. (laughs) Is there a difference between sacrifice and submission? Are they both about obedience? What's the difference? The sameness? In my in my estimation, the the difference between well, I don't even know how to explain it as a difference because when you compare them and contrast them, it's like apples and oranges. You know, okay. one makes a great pie and the other one does not. <laughs> okay. You know, but our when we sacrifice coming into a marriage, what what we're sacrificing isn't even a sense of individuality. Because even in a marriage relationship, it's, if it's functioning properly, then we still have this individuality and we're moving in and out of a connection. You know, sometimes our connection is closer than it is with, you know, than at other times, but we never lose our individuality. What we do is we come together with our spouse and our individuality and their individuality makes a stronger unit. But those two, the individuals submitted to the Lord, 
Like that's where the power is at, but we don't have to lose our individuality. And then as far as like leadership and submission, and I, I say that those two things together, because if you speak of submission without speaking of leadership, it'll lead to faulty conclusions because you cannot have submission without proper leadership and you cannot have proper leadership without submission. And so those two things working together, and it takes two individuals, two strong individuals who knows how those two things work together in order to, to submit to that process, right? right? To the leadership, the submission process. But so often the leadership is portrayed as lording over Christ doesn't lord over the church. We have a freedom to choose if we're going to be obedient or not. And the Lord is very gentle and caring as he brings us to a point of understanding that when we do submit in that, in our relationship with the Lord, that he has our good for, you know, in mind for us, like he has only good for us mm-hmm. in mind. And so even in the hard things, right, he redeems those hard stories, but in the marriage relationship, if a husband is lording over the wife and the submission is forced, that's not submission. That's slavery for the lack of a better word. Right. right? But if a godly man is leading his family in the way that Christ leads the church, which is gentle and loving, and he becomes a trustworthy person with trustworthy characteristics, then the wife's submission is kind of a no-brainer because he's trustworthy. We just did a podcast that dropped on October 20th that is about that very same thing. It's about biblical leadership. Remember to give me that link and I will drop it in the show notes so that people can have access, direct access to that as well. So clearly there is a difference between submissive in our own strength and understanding versus submission or being submissive to the Lord. Because he he does it in such a gentle, kind, clear leadership role. And isn't we... it true that most of the time, if we're submitting in our own strength, we become a doormat, right? That you've heard that doormat, doormat syndrome. Mm-hmm. But if we're submitting in our own strength and our husbands are not leading in 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 the spirit strength, you know, if, they, if they're leading in their own strength, that's when things get really messed up, you know. We start caving to our own fears. We become codependent. We start enabling instead of equipping. And we go to our own, what do you call it, survival skills, which then, of course, lead down the wrong path. I am familiar with (laughs) going to your own survival skills and what that gets you. So for a wife who is in an abusive, and we don't have to go into depth and abusive, although I liked the distinction you made. And so maybe we will touch on it. But as far as a wife in a relationship, a marriage that is not with a trustworthy husband, he has not proven himself to be trustworthy. What is her role now? Well, you know, there's levels of not being trustworthy, right? And so I would first say that if you are not in a safe place, if you are in danger, don't stay in that relationship for the sake of submitting because those marriage vows are already broken. You know, when he vowed to love you, you know, that love of Christ is unconditional and an abusive man is not loving unconditionally. 
So don't stay in a relationship where you're not safe. But I, I think leading the more important thing is the leading of the Holy Spirit, because trusting your husband's story to the Lord, you know, he's working in places that we don't see. And it's, it's, how would I want to describe that? It's hard in the waiting, but if the Lord is leading you to stay, then you're part of your husband's story. As a marriage, you're part of his story. He's part of your story, really. Mm -hmm. And so there's a leading of the Holy Spirit that's giving you discernment, whether you leave or whether you stay. How can a woman be equipping herself to be stronger, to have clarity, to have direction? Seeking Jesus as your husband. I know there's a Bible verse about the Lord being our our husband. And I think that, you know, we don't think about the the power, the just ultimate power of the Holy Spirit in meeting our needs. Because what's happening is when a husband is not being trustworthy, he's not meeting our needs. You know, if the uh, relationship is emotionally manipulative or he's just selfish, if he's not submitted to the Lord, then the needs that we have as wives aren't getting met, but the Lord can meet those needs. And we should be looking to the Lord to meet those needs, not our husband to meet those needs. And it comes back to that. He's your husband's not completing you. He is not perfect, Mm -hmm, (laughs) but the one who is sovereign in control and is perfect can meet those needs. And it is growing in intimacy with God when you're leaning in on hard places like that, painful Mm -hmm. places, and God is revealing himself to you. It's a, a beautiful but yet painful process. Yes, yes. Because I, it is. I think ultimately it comes down to having to let go of some things, having to let go of what expectations or lies that we believed or trauma conditions in our own heart. And so that can be very scary when your world is being redefined by what you thought it was. Right. But it is safe. It's safe in God. When talking about trauma, at what point should a woman begin to look at her own trauma? Because at my age, I have realized that we've all got some homework we need to do based on life experiences mm-hmm. that have brought us into places where we do believe lies or we do act in in ways that are not the truth. When should a woman look at her trauma? Oh, I think I, I think anyone should look at their trauma when the Lord brings it to light. A lot of times in the counseling office, I talk about incongruencies. Like if you know the Lord wants this particular thing for you or that it should be like this and you know that like what you're experiencing is not that, like that's a discrepancy. And generally that's where we take that to the Lord and say, okay, here's this discrepancy, Lord. How do you have to fix this? Like, how do you, what is it that you want me to do to move from point A to point B? Because I know that this discrepancy is there and you don't want this discrepancy. Mm -hmm. So there's that, like, that's a way that the Lord will bring hurts to mind or places that he needs to heal or, or, or areas that he just wants you to move from point A to point B in, you know, sometimes it's not even a, not even a trauma, but what a trauma will do is bring forth a negative emotion that's generally bigger than the situation calls for. That's called a trigger, right? So if you're experiencing things and then you're going, wow, that emotion that I'm feeling is way bigger than what the situation called for, then that experience might, or that uh, emotion might be like a remembrance of a past trauma 
that is kind of subconscious and it's coming out. So if you're experiencing emotion that's bigger than the situation calls for, like take that before the Lord and say, hey, show me what this is about because this is what I'm feeling and this wasn't worth that. You know, it wasn't worth this emotional energy because my son dropped his plate or I missed the elevator or my husband said something silly to me and that caused all this great big emotion. I think that's a way to determine if there's something that you need to take to the Lord. And that happens all the time. I mean, sometimes there are little discrepancies and sometimes they're great big overflow of emotion. Like I, I remember calling my husband one evening. I was out. I had left because I was emotional, not left the marriage, but I went shopping because that's my therapeutic (laughs) go-to, you know? And I just remember calling him going, I am so tired. I am so like emotional. I'm just, I'm spent. And historically we look at how the psychological industries has evolved. And I think back to like the early 1900s and they would have called that hysteria. I was hysterical. (laughs) We kind of have a little different definition of hysterical now (laughs) than what we would then. But, you know, it was funny because Doug just calmly listened to me and, you know, his just calm words was like, it's going to be okay. Like it's going to be okay. And I knew I had a bigger negative emotional reaction to what was going on than what the situation actually called for. And I just, you know, I sat before the Lord and I said, okay, this was the, you know, what was this and what do I need to fix? Because this was ridiculous. <laughs> hey, it happens to us all. I can't oh, imagine yes. it doesn't. Yes, because with just a little bit of life under your belt and now, you know, even childhood trauma, family of origin, all that contributes to Mm -hmm. false things we believe, lies we've, you know, in situations as a kid, especially you're left to define it and figure it out. And so now you align it with a lie, even if it's the very beginning, thinking that you're the problem because kids Mm -hmm. do that all the time. All the time, right, because they don't have the knowledge to fill in the blanks. You know, they don't have the words or the vocabulary to to fill in the blanks and nobody's saying to them, hey, what mom and dad are doing are wrong. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of healing come out of just an understanding of someone who has childhood trauma, an understanding that what their parents did was wrong, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think this comes back to defining a perfect marriage and a perfect family. And to me, that's like everybody's needs are consistently met every time. And Okay, where is that ever going to happen? Yeah. So there are no perfect marriages. There are no perfect families. (laughs) Right, right. But there is a perfect God and that's the God we serve. So even in our imperfect marriages and our imperfect families, you know, God has a redemptive story in those. And, and I think that that's the part that, you know, a lot of times we forget because we're, we strive for perfect, right? I mean, we, we strive for, we strive for at least good, right? I don't want to be psychologically damaging my children or my husband, you know, but we do have our times and God can redeem those times when we're just not in the place, you know, submitted to him that we need to be. In an effort to kind of press this out a little bit more, the majority of our decisions that we make on a day-to-day basis have to do with submitting ourselves to rules and laws and expectations. So what do you think it is about submission that you think most women misunderstand? The misunderstanding of submission can come from not having a full understanding of what it looks like when it works 
hand in glove with biblical leadership because submission is not a bad thing, but when submission is forced, it's a horrible thing. And so often we don't count the cost of not submitting because in our marriage, like in society, there's, you know, we do work as two individuals, right? But in working in two individuals, it's not, it's separate and we don't have the, we don't have the wholeness that a biblical marriage can provide, but understanding that submission doesn't work alone. Like you have to have the biblical leadership as the other part. And I don't think it should ever be spoken of separately. When you say a wife, I'm a wife, that implies I have a husband, right? When you say a husband, that implies that my husband has a wife. The same is true with biblical leadership and biblical submission. You can't speak about one without the other or the other without the one. And I think I think where the the biggest misunderstandings come from is is that they, there's not a full view because in a lot of churches submission is preached without biblical leadership. In a lot of societies the woman's place is preached without talking about the man's place. And I think that's where I think that's where the biggest misunderstanding comes from. I agree. I agree because even when I was structuring this conversation I was looking at how can a woman still thrive in a marriage without her husband's leadership? Because I was seeing that happen a lot where they're struggling because they lack the leadership. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that it that there's life there. But again, I, it comes back to God leading and the Holy Spirit both. having yeah, having both work together or mm-hmm. or at least in that intimacy as a wife with the Lord, you are trusting him with with your husband's story, what you were saying earlier. And the whole thing about the husband, wife, wife, husband, you can't use one without the other. I immediately think of love and truth. You can't have love without truth and you can't have truth without love. Right. One without the other negates the other. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't even make sense. So the same thing when when you're saying husband and wife. Yes, I agree. hundred percent. So we looked at sacrifice, submission, And now let's look at obedience. (laughs) These are tough words, aren't they? I think they're tough words, especially maybe in a young marriage or a marriage that's struggling. So when a woman decides that she's going to commit to something, she's going to step into this new level of obedience, and she needs to also prepare for a counterattack from the enemy, right? That's a given. So in what ways does Satan try to undermine a wife's willingness to be willing? You said that. I really liked it. You have a willingness to be willing to step into this new level of obedience. What is Satan going to pull? I really believe the Lord can work with just a willingness to be willing, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you're open to the leading. Yes. Yes. You're open to, to change and to, you know, moving into a, a new relationship, a deeper relationship. But I think obedience, again, we have to be obedient to the word of God. And I think that that's priority, you know, in our marriage, we, in any relationship, I mean, even if it's a work relationship with your boss, there are relationship guidelines, relationship rules that the Bible puts out that if we follow, the Lord is going to bless them. Even if it doesn't make sense in our minds, even in a work situation, if I go into that situation and the work that I have been tasked with I don't enjoy, but the Bible says to do that as unto the Lord. So picturing working for the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I love you with all my heart. 
and I'm going to do this task as if you were standing right beside me and we were doing it together and I'm doing this for you. And those, those tasks that we don't like, those mundane everyday tasks or a situation that comes up that we don't like to be in. And then sometimes there's just that rebellious spirit, you know, that I can't drive 55 spirit, you know, and uh, yeah. And then all of a sudden you have this law that says you have to drive 55 and I'm going, what? My, (laughs) my car can go from zero to 60 in three seconds, like 55, what, you know? Okay. Not quite that fast, but (laughs) you know what I mean? And then, so we have to, we have to hold that rebellious spirit in tight rein because if it's loosed and on autopilot, we become very rebellious and somebody may say something or prick that rebellious spirit and we will rebel just for the sake of rebelling. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's not, that's not, God is not going to bless that in a marriage. And I think that, you know, there are times when if the, if the husband is not leading biblically and what he's asking to be done is contrary to scripture. That's when the wife has to say blind obedience in this relationship is not what the Lord is calling for. I am submitted first to the Lord. I'm obedient first to the Lord and then to my husband, you know, and how that plays out, you know, the, the, just trusting that story, knowing that the Lord is working in that, that, that could work out a lot of different ways. And it may not work out the way you think it's going to work out. You may have to just wait in that, that scenario for a while, you know? And that's a good point to make to that blind obedience, because if your husband's asking you to do something illegal, you know, immoral, or your boss as the things that contradict God's character, things that, you know, are against his nature, then you need to maybe look at a boundary in areas and situations like that. Right. There may Uh, be a place where you need to take a stand. Mm -hmm. Yes. So some of the areas that I think challenge a marriage would be little, well, well, it ain't little because it can end up being something so major, but talk to me about backbiting. What is backbiting and how does that tear apart a marriage? Well, backbiting is, well, (laughs) backbiting I think backbiting comes out of a place of resentment to start with. Like there's resentment in a heart of a person who will, will backbite. And I think that, you know, okay, first let's define backbiting. Backbiting is when, when you take your relationship or the person in your relationship and you talk about that person in a negative way to other people, you know, that's gossip and and backbiting, it's kind of the same way, but it's with a malicious, you know, a lot of times we gossip and it's not malicious, right? Mm-hmm. But if we're gossiping and it's malicious, like we're doing it to hurt that person, that's backbiting. In Proverbs 31, the Lord lays out the verse that comes to mind is that a husband can trust his wife. A good wife can be trusted, And that's one of the things that he needs to be able to trust is that she's not, you know, backbiting at the salon or whatever, or, and vice versa too, that he's not locker room talking or slandering or, you know, whatever, talking about his wife in a bad way at work or in the gym or, you know, on the golf course or whatever. And so what it does is it breaks down trust. 
And without having trust, a relationship doesn't have legs to stand on. It's an eroding away that kind of goes undetected, I think, because you're just vocalizing what you're struggling with. You're saying Mm -hmm. what he did and, you know, try to make him look like he's the problem or whatever, when... In fact, on times like that, for me, it would have been more about, no, Sherry, you have some trauma you need to look at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that resentment, the heart issue. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there, there again, that's not trusting the Lord with his story, too. And the thing is, if there's a situation that would cause you to backbite, talk maliciously about your spouse, the first thing to do is to take that situation to the Lord and say, okay, where's my heart? incongruent at, and what do I need to change? And then be able to talk to your spouse about it and say, Hey, I was hurt because of this situation and putting that, putting the relationship as a priority. The one of the things that you would do, how a decision that you would make, because that relationship is a priority is taking that hurt to your spouse and working through that together in the intimacy that God has created in the marriage relationship and the intimacy with the Lord, bringing that together and helping that situation then solidify the marriage as opposed to turning to backbiting and it undermining and tearing apart the relationship. Because backbiting is not, the behavior of backbiting isn't the issue. What triggered the being something to backbite about, that's generally the issue. I'm so glad you're highlighting this because it really magnifies the importance of continually focusing and centering yourself on God, what he's doing. Because not only does he know your brokenness, he knows your spouse's brokenness. Yeah. And if you if that's your practice where you go back to God, and also I'd like to add to the fact that you need to be reading his word because now you have yeah. this framework to work with God and say, hey, your word says this, but that's not what I'm getting. You need to help me understand this better. I remember when the Lord illuminated the scripture about having, I will take your heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. And I was like, mm. oh my gosh, you're so right. And then it began, it led to a revelation of how I had made these swears along the way and I had hardened my heart. So even having that scripture, when God revealed it to me, it made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And so I think in this reading the word, talking to God, you receive revelation, you get a new understanding and doing those things with God is what will stop the bitterness or at least interrupt the pattern. Because like we said, it is subconscious, a subconscious level. And if not interrupted, I believe that it can lead to contempt. Mm -hmm. And I personally think contempt really is like the last nail in a coffin for marriage. Yeah, I think so. Gottman speaks to the four horsemen and contempt is one of those. And what the four horsemen are is that as he was doing marriage counseling, there were four, four things that he would see present in the counseling office. And if a couple had one or more of those things present, then the likelihood of them getting a divorce was just very, very high, like like higher than 75 or 80%. And one of them was contempt. And so, yeah, it's, yeah, contempt is really, really hard to come because love cannot thrive in a heart that's contempt, you know, that is filled with contempt. Mm, There's no room. There's no room. Mm -hmm. So, what are, what is the maybe foundational skill that relates to protecting marriage? Like what's the number one, do you think? I would think one of the most important ones is to 
resolve in your heart that the relationship is the most important thing that that your spouse that your relationship with your spouse is worth protecting and both spouses working to protect that relationship will help solidify it will keep things from happening that will undermine it because you know your spouse has your back your spouse knows you have their back and that that relationship is the most important thing i don't say most important of course our relationship with the lord is most important but on on a horizontal level, you know, not a vertical level, but a horizontal level that your relationship with your spouse is most important priority, you know, above the job, above the children, above the tasks of the day, above everything that your relationship with your spouse is most important and let that guide your decisions. And to me, that resembles the way that the Trinity thinks of each other. The most important thing is their relationship. Yes, yes, other. yes. Mm-hmm. And so I think that models models what God has set up for us. So still looking at some of the little parts of marriage that can cause problems. I think one of the things about sex is that it smooths over the rough parts of relationship. And so it's my personal opinion that it's also one of the reasons that if we have sex before marriage, we miss things that we should have seen. We miss red flags. We miss behaviors, things that we should have known that would have that would have indicated that we should not have gotten married. What is God's intention for sex beyond procreation with with regard to marriage? Sex creates a soul tie, a bond. And when the Bible says that a husband and wife become one, that becoming one is solidified in the sex, in the in the sexual intimacy of that relationship. Um, one, there's the vow that you take as, you know, in your wedding vows and then consummating that vow. So when two people become one flesh, that's what happens in the sexual intimacy. If you are having sex without the vow, it creates a lopsided or a soul tie that's not godly. Now that can be that can be redeemed within the marriage relationship, but a lot of times there's we're having premarital sex that's not with the person who would be our spouse, and that creates an ungodly soul tie that we're bringing into our marriage. So there's a lot of spiritual aspects to soul ties that we don't even think about. Like, I don't, it, I don't know that it's taught in churches as much as it should be. You're right. I've never heard it in church until, I don't know, maybe 10, no, probably five years ago, a thing about soul tie. Maybe I just missed it. I don't know. But I didn't even know what a soul tie was till about five years ago, five, six years ago. And so that was very interesting to me to think that that is really what's taking place in that sexual intercourse. It is two becoming one. Mm-hmm. To me, explains a lot of reasons why people who go from one relationship to another can't really find that they're hindered. Right. And I think it speaks to the fact that a lot of times couples, when they get married, they're not thinking about the spiritual side of it. They're not thinking not about what the vows that they make at the altar. The The Bible says that what we bound on earth is bound in heaven. So as a believer speaks that vow, you know, or as a believer participates in that behavior of creating one flesh out of two, you know, that's bound in heaven. Mm -hmm. And 
bringing an ungodly soul tie into a marriage can really wreak havoc because it there there's spiritual aspects that are coming. You know, if you wonder why you're in your marriage and you're thinking about an ex still, or you're wondering about somebody that you've been with in the past, that's bringing that, like you said, that's a hindrance. It's bringing a hindrance into that current current relationship that we don't even realize that it's coming from a spiritual place. Yeah. And you've got to contend with all of that until you break those soul ties because you can break soul ties. When I found out about soul ties, it was in the context of cleansing stream. Are you familiar with cleansing stream? No, I'm not. Okay. Well, it was in the, it was a ministry program called cleansing stream. And part of this, I want to say it was five parts, seven parts. One of them was soul ties. That's how I learned about soul ties. So they had you write down anyone that you'd had sex with previously, oral sex, uh, intercourse, all these things. And so you made this list and you broke agreement with these these soul ties. Mm-hmm. And then you, you know, you, you and the Lord. Them, mm-hmm. right? You just denounce them. them. Yep. And break them. And then you, you receive God's forgiveness about them. And so that was really eye-opening, not even knowing that they exist, not even understanding what sort of complications that they did cause you personally and in mm-hmm. marriage. And so that was some freedom, a new level of freedom when I learned about those as well. I think, I think the Lord brought you know, brought that kind of cleansing into our relationship, really kind of unbeknownst to me, because the importance of it, like, it's really, really important to understand the spiritual side of this. And I was working as a counselor facilitator in a ministry called the Mariah Foundation. And that was one of the things that, you know, in our, in our groups that we worked to bring people through and, being a facilitator, I went through the steps that we brought the group through, you know, I didn't realize the importance of what it was doing for our, for my marriage, you know, that those soul ties were broken and not even realizing that the Lord used that to protect my relationship. Cause it wasn't something that I sought out individually. Like, you know, I believe that a facilitator, if you're going to be a good leader, you should be willing to do what you're leading people to do. So it was, it was in that setting. Mm-hmm. And I think that the Lord used that in ways um, that I wasn't aware about until even just recently, as we, we start uh, looking deeper into, you know, into teaching about soul ties in, in our own podcast setting, just how gracious and how wonderful the Lord was to, to bring me through that without it being a hard spot, without it being a condemning spot or a, you know, a humbling spot. It was just kind of something that happened in the course of, of that time of life. The Bible doesn't talk about soul ties, doesn't use the word soul ties, just like the Bible doesn't use the word Trinity, Mm -hmm. right? But we know the Trinity, the father and the son and the Holy spirit. We know that as a, as the Trinity. So like soul ties, like for instance, even David is described as having a soul tie with Jonathan. Mm-hmm. It's a close relationship. And I believe that's in first Samuel 18, but even a close relationship that doesn't have sexual intimacy in it can provide a soul tie. And so they're not, they're soul ties that are good. And then there's soul ties that are bad. There are soul ties that are sexual, soul ties that are relational. So I guess it's a matter of discerning which ones need to be brought before the Lord, right. broken agreement with. Right. Uh, it's hindering you know, a relationship. One more thing I want to touch on 
before we begin to close, and that is pornography in the marriage. Is it my understanding that the best shot at the one who is struggling with pornography is for the other to put a boundary in place and to stand on it? Because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about pornography in the marriage, even from the pulpit pastors saying, wives, just be your husband's fantasy, but it can become very unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And and hush, hush. And I think that anything that, it, you know, is, I think that anything that is creating a soul tie, because it's not like, like we were talking about, it, it doesn't have to actually be physical to create a soul tie. And if it's taking something away from your spouse and then giving it to, you know, whatever pornography outlet that you have, it is undermining the relationship. It's, it's creating a tie that's not with your, the thing is, is that I don't know that, you know, boundaries, when you set a boundary, it is a boundary of your own behavior. And so, yes, if you set a boundary and stick to it, that's telling your spouse that their actions are affecting you. And if you don't hold that boundary, what that says is that their actions don't affect you or that the effect is not permanent. So it reinforces their behavior if the boundary is made and then not stuck to. Mm -hmm. And so, so in the course of, you know, behavioral therapy, I would say, yes, you need to set a boundary and stick to it. But sometimes the boundaries that we set are not motivating for our spouse to change their behavior. And so, and I, that's where the leading of the Lord needs to come from and seeking godly counsel. I, I know pornography is one of those things where you really, you need to have accountability. You need to have counseling. It's not just something that one minute it's there and the next minute it's not. And I would suggest that they find a practice or a method of therapy that does not make the comment or believe that pornography, men's interest in women in that context is is typical and normal. Mm, right. Because it's not. No, it's not. Yeah. When... A woman is trying to find her way to the bottom of an issue. She's been triggered. Maybe she's had a a sharp reaction that's out of measure or context to what actually happened. Clearly, the alarm system that God has given us has been triggered. So it's time to pause and work through her reaction. What are some of the questions that she can ask herself? How can she process with God to get to the root cause of what's going on? Well, I think, first of all, just... inviting the Lord into that place, what we know, whatever it is, if it's a place of high negative emotion, if it's a place of despondency or, or incongruency, you know, I think that's the best way to describe it is incongruency, inviting the Lord into that place and sitting there and saying, okay, Lord, what, what is it that I need to hear from you? You know, and like, we're back to like what you said, people need to be in the word. You know, you need to know the word of God because he heals those places with scripture also, not just meditative prayer. Like what I was describing was meditative prayer. But asking ourselves, okay, what is it in my heart, in my mind 
that's not aligning itself with scripture and then being able to say, okay, well, that's where I need to be. So what does it take to get to that point? Like, you know, if you're having condemning thoughts and the, and you know, the Bible says, think about the things that are praiseworthy and trustworthy, focus on the things that are positive. So if the Lord shows you that the discrepancy, you know, what the discrepancy is, then you make a commitment to, to doing that, you know? And two, if he, if there's a lie that you're believing that is contrary to scripture, contrary to what the Lord believes about you, allow the Lord to change that with truth. And he will, he won't just say, don't believe that, right? He will say, here's my truth. And this is what you need to replace it with. There's so much freedom in letting God rewrite what we think we know Mm -hmm. and redefine the skill set that we've created for ourselves. What is the one thing that you want listeners to remember today? Let's say they listen to this conversation and they only remember one thing. What would that be? I would want them to remember that all things are possible with God. That even in the small things that God is for you, and that he's working in your story. You know, all things are possible through Christ. And that kind of hope keeps you hanging on even in the toughest yes. times. Even in the toughest times. Well, Leslie, I so appreciate your time today and your insight. I'm going to really enjoy going back over what we've shared just so I can, you know, turn it over a little bit more. Granted, I'm a widow now, but nonetheless, it's still such good, rich information that leads to a lot of freedom to live in the here and now. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven. Right, right, right. (laughs) True. Yeah. The Lord says, I I come to give you life more abundant and that life more abundant is here. It is definitely here. Yeah. Have an amazing day, sweet friend. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.